We're going to pull in Joe Mahavik now. He's former city councillor here in the city of Toronto to talk about some of the big news this week concerning the city. Hey, Joe, thanks for joining me. Yeah, great to be on your show again, Maggie. Yeah, have a happy uh, wet Saturday. It is a wet Saturday. Oh, my gosh. It's always always with the weather. I'm ready for some sunny skies and some warm temperatures. All right, let's start off uh, with the budget first, oh. Joe. Um, it seems like Tor- City Hall was left behind. The City of Toronto was left uh, behind in the province's uh, budget. Uh, Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey had said that she was urging the Ford government to cover the $510 million in the city's projected pandemic-related costs this year. Um, but this, the province has said that they are committed to working with Toronto. Is that enough to just hear it? I mean, we're not we're not seeing the money right now, Joe. No, we're not seeing the money. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I've been on council for 28 years and the province regularly basically gives uh, gives Toronto big fat zero. And uh, that that would be desperately unfortunate for the for the city. Now, the city from the 1930s is not allowed to have a deficit, so it can't go into debt for operating costs and therefore needs to go into reserves when it doesn't have uh, money to to basically provide basic services. All the costs that uh, Deputy Mayor or Acting Mayor, I guess, uh, Jennifer McKelvey mentioned were costs related to COVID. Mm -hmm. And those are costs that really are appropriate to the provincial and federal government. Uh, the meaning for what this means for Toronto is, frankly, at the end of the day, it is uh, less street sweeping, messier parks, uh, libraries closing early, not enough custodial staff in our in our civic centers, and so on. Um, so it's not it's not good for Toronto, and um, we uh, we hope that the province sees the light and and fulfills its uh, responsibility. Often we use this word downloading. There's been over the last uh, generation and a half, there's been so much downloading that has happened from the province as it seeks to look good to its public and balance its books. It just downloads it to the next order of government. And that's the city. And and Toronto has been the victim of that kind of uh, thinking. Now, on, the Ontario government has argued that the federal government also has a responsibility to help the city. And we, we know that. I mean, all levels of government, the city looks to the provincial government as well as the feds to help uh, financially. Um, so without the assistance of the other two levels of government, you said, you know, that means less street sweeping and things of that sort. Is the federal is the provincial government just holding out a little and eventually we'll see the money come to fruition? And how do we get out of this habit? You know, as you said, Joe, you you know, you know, this dance, you've seen it happen time and time again, as you said, on on council. How do we get out of this habit of, you know, going with our arms stretched to both levels of government asking for more and they playing this game of let's see who gives Toronto how much and then we'll go from there? You know, that's the excellent question. And there have been a series of conversations, frankly, with each administration from Mel Hassman to David Miller to John Tory to Rob Ford on what the city needs. And what the city needs really is a new fiscal arrangement with the province of Ontario. So right now, the way the city of Toronto, and this is unique in Canada, um, it's not present in European cities. We only have access to the property tax base, and we get uh, we also have access to the land tra- a land transfer tax, which yields a few hundred million dollars. We need we need another few revenue sources. 
as happens in Europe, all those big cities that you see that are that are so amazing and have uh, done so much for their for their residents, they get a point, a penny on the HST, their or value added tax as they call it. They might get a point or two on income tax. They might get a point or two on on parking levies, on gas taxes, on a whole host of other things that the other orders of government charge. So we call those revenues that grow with the economy. So if the economy is strong, then the cities also then get a piece of that uh, of that tax uh, tax revenue. Mm-hmm. So and and then it also uh, allows us not to be so reliant on the property tax base because you do have those seniors that are call it house rich and cash poor that can't take a big hit on their on their property taxes. So it's really diversifying our income. And there there is where the province needs to make the big moves. There are legal masters and they need to open it up, give us the revenue, and then we'll stop going cap in hand. And and me me thinks that that they kind of like us going cap in hand to them because they can then basically dictate policy. And that's really really not a way to have a mature relationship between cities and the province of Ontario. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the mayoral race, and it is heating up. We have names like Josh Matlow, Giorgio Mamaliti, Anna Bailao, Mark Saunders, Anthony Fury, Chloe Brown, Gil Penalosa, um, and we, are, you know, are, there are talks of others uh, joining the race as well. Mitzi Hunter says she is getting ready to, to run. What are your thoughts on the lineup so far? Well, this is a this this is the election campaign that maybe we should have had about a year ago, but we mm-hmm. didn't because uh, basically uh, we all knew that John Tory had it in the bag, uh, and it's not that residents wouldn't have in the end voted for John Tory, but that vigorous debate over the future of the city that accompanies a mayoralty campaign uh, was not had. So there are big questions that the city of Toronto has to answer around public transit around how much policing uh, but the policing budget should be increased or held held uh, to uh, as flatline uh, how much property taxes should go up how do we address climate change how do we address housing how do we address homelessness those are very very big questions and this the, the fact that there's so many players will allow for a, a vigorous debate on all those uh, issues i suspect though between <clears throat> the beginning of april when they will be allowed to sign up in the middle of, of May, May 12th to be precise, when they will be allowed to drop out, that a number of those candidates will, will very soon see that they're just not cutting it, and then they'll, they'll drop out. So my suspicion is, is that between the middle of May and the end of June, maybe instead of 12, 15 uh, would-be candidates, we'll have more, something like uh, five, six, seven and then let the debate happen and, and let's engage it. And let's really, as Torontonians, say, OK, let's use this opportunity for, of the mayors, the mayor of choosing the mayor to really talk about the kind of city that we want and that we have to pay for as well. Yeah. We also have the element of the strong mayoral powers as well. Uh, what are what I've never asked you, Joe, what are your thoughts on the strong mayoral powers? And and. You know, there are some who have, rightfully so, some concerns about how that could play out with whoever ends up with with uh, the role of mayor. Well, that's that's a very uh, good question. I am not a supporter of the strong mayor system, and it really is a a model that you use in uh, in private corporations. 
Um, and private corporations need that one director, or that's the way basically the modern corporation is structured. That's not democracy. Democracy is me having my ideas, you, Maggie, having your ideas, and then together we build uh, common ideas. And that takes a little longer and takes a little time, but it is about this thing we call the public good. And really, that's a process where you need committees, where you need outreach, neighborhood events, and that's a building process that builds up. And so I, I think that the role of the mayor is, is like an orchestra director rather than, say, an army general. An orchestra director who's really wise and knows how to up the sound on this side of the, of the orchestra and down the sound on this side of the orchestra. Those are the kind of uh, mayors that just get things done. So we, we want someone who can talk to all sides of council. We want someone who can really renew democracy in our city. There's, it's been 25 years since Megacity, and we haven't had that conversation on what the city, the future of democracy. We know that 25 councillors, that they're being overworked. They're, they can't pay attention to the details, and local politics is about the details. It's about the cracks in the sidewalks. It's about garbage pickup. It's about the state of the parks. We need, frankly, more elected people, maybe not at the big city level, but maybe at some neighborhood level, uh, so it's time to time to look at what well, this election is an opportunity for us to renew democracy and say, how do we make good decisions? How do we get people involved in making the decisions that affect their neighborhoods and their communities? I think you're absolutely right about engagement and uh, making all counselors feel like they are engaged in the process and not just uh, checking off a box and allowing the mayor to move his agenda or her agenda forward. And I I suspect that that's kind of how the feeling was at the, you know, with, with John Tory as mayor, that for some, they felt like they, especially with the budget, that they were just moving along uh, his agenda at that time. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all unfolds and with the new mayor and how they use uh, those strong mayor powers. So, Joe, the TTC announced that service on 39 routes would be adjusted and some routes will see longer wait times or shorter wait times, depending on the time of day. And this could mean wait times can increase up to 11 minutes. New research. We just heard an interview that um, was done earlier this week with Ed Keenan and uh, one of the co-directors of this uh, research from the Toronto Metropolitan University. They have found that this will greatly impact marginalized uh, groups. They've also found that 22 of 28 or 79% of the TTC routes will experience at least a 10% increase in uh, wait times through a lot of these uh, uh, neighborhoods that are really dependent on uh, the public service, on on uh, the, the service of the TTC. Do you think the TTC made a, a big mistake here? And, and how do you rectify this? I mean, there are pockets in our city that really depend on the transit service? Yes, you know, that's a, that's a very good question, and it really speaks to the essence of what the public service is, uh, is all about. So we do have uh, areas of the city where poor folk um, live, and they are their routes are not just uh, an option, their TTC routes, because they don't have cars. It is absolutely essential for them to get around. Uh, in days of old, and um, I'm surprised that this screen was not used, there was a, call it an ac access and equity screen that the city uh, TTC planners used in determining service levels on routes. Uh, 
And so if it was a particular route that was uh, was uh, not meeting certain performance standards uh, and yet was serving a more poor community, uh, then that route was uh, continued. It wasn't uh, it wasn't cut. And what's happening, what's going to happen now is that the very people that need TTC the most are going to be cut. Thankfully, this will be part of the debates that we have at uh, at uh, during the mayoralty contest. And I, I do know one counselor uh, or former counselor has uh, Anna Bailao has indicated that she will restore those uh, those routes uh, as soon as she uh, gets in. My hope is, is that all the candidates, frankly, uh, make the same kind of uh, position. Uh, you know, TTC, public transit mobility, is the blood vessel, are the blood vessels of the city. And if you make it harder for people to get around and they can't go to those doctor's appointments and there's all those health care costs, if they can't get jobs, then there's all those employment-related uh, issues if they can't go to school, then it's about schooling. And so you need to see, we need to see public transit, not just as a, a place to get some revenue through the fare box, but as a really important uh, public service that binds the city together. So wrong policy and it needs to be fixed. And so, you know, when we look at the TTC and, and the fact that fare fares are going up and yet, you know, we see ridership has gone down significantly. In the meantime, uh, before we get this new mayor, you know, these this is a real life issue that's going to be happening in third on 39 routes. And so will we do you think people will just I mean, I, I just think, you know, I, I grew up in this city and I remember we took the subway you know, TTC everywhere because we didn't have a car. And so what would have been our option would have been just to wait. You know, you're just forced to wait and you might be late for that doctor's appointment or you might be late to get to work. That's reality. I mean, many people don't have the option of saying, oh, I'm going to call a taxi or an Uber. Um, So this puts a, a significant group in our city in a very precarious situation uh, that and they can't wait until the next mayor comes in. And you're right. This is a conversation uh, to to debate. But how do we solve this now? We can't. We, well, uh, frankly, we can't. The cuts go in on March 26th. This yeah. was a decision of a uh, city council. And the earliest that it can be reversed will be uh, in the summertime if if the right mayor with the right policy comes uh, comes forward. And yes, I suspect that those people on Jane Street or on McCowan who see a bus coming and it's so crowded because yeah. it's so irregular that they have to wait for the next one and the next one's not coming for 20, 25 minutes, that the, the, they might have something to say and they're going to use their, their, their ballot box as a, as a way to say it. Yeah. On top of that, another study finds that Torontonians are paying more for transit than many other cities in the world. We are just behind Sao Paulo, Brazil, Istanbul, Turkey, and London uh, in the UK. Uh, And when it comes to Canadian rankings, Toronto is uh, the country's most expensive city for transit. I find this funny because we're talking about cuts. We're talking, as you said, it is the lifeline of our city to get people from A to B. And we are paying a lot of money compared to other uh, cities in the world. And yet, are we getting what we're paying for? Well, there is there is virtually very few systems in the world. I think it's Tokyo and Moscow or the and maybe a few a few others globally where the fare box pays for the complete cost of the ride. Yeah. Every other system is paid for by a combination of the fare box 
and by uh, different governments putting in uh, money. <clears throat> the fare box, in the case of Toronto, pays for 70% of the ride, and 30% comes from the city of Toronto. But guess what? In days gone by, this and this links to the very first conversation where we, when we started, uh, it used to be that the province paid for a significant amount of the cost of the ride because they realized that for every person that gets on public transit, that may be a choice rider who could use a car and is using public transit um, is one car less on the road, which means that the movement of goods and the movement of essential services on the roads happens more easily. So it's in the broad public interest to shift people out of their cars and onto public transit for those people that can. And so to make it so expensive that people that some people just can't and therefore they don't go out for job opportunities or they just basically get in their car. It's not good from the point of view of the large public whole. That's what congests our, our roads. And I, I can remember when we would, when we would raise fares a dime, mm-hmm. we knew exactly how many, how many riders we would lose. We would lose three to 7 million uh, riders by raising it a dime. Wow. And so now we're raising it a dime and we're cutting back service. That's the death knell for public transit. And so uh, what you're going to see this summer, the summer, this summer is going to be the road of the congestion for those people who have cars. And it'll be the summer of uh, folks uh, basically waiting that 20, 30, 40 minutes for buses on, 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 on the, at, the, at the bus stops. Yeah. This is not going to be the city. This is not going to be a city of mobility, a city where, where you really get around, where you really get the blood flowing. And that's, that's what you want to achieve. So, that policy, what we really need is the province and the feds, like happens every place around the world. Up, upper senior orders of government fund public transit because it is about the, the strengthening the economy and the social fabric of the city. That's what we need is uh, input from the, from the province and the feds. Absolutely. Okay, I want to get to the story really quickly, and we have two minutes left, Joe. So apparently some of the toilets might not be cleaned at City Hall, or you know, some, somewhere hidden in the city budget was mention of cutting custodial cleaning of Toronto City Hall and other city centres. And some didn't know. Councillors like uh, Josh Matlow are upset and feel that it was buried in the budget. Shouldn't someone have caught this? This kind of goes back to your initial comment about, you know, council getting smaller, not being able to pay attention to all the details. Shouldn't someone have seen that there would be a cut to custodial uh, services at City Hall in the budget? Uh, Yes, I guess at the end of the day, the buck stops with the city council. So, yes, they should have uh, uh, seen it. Um, I went through those documents working on a, on a side issue a few a few weeks ago and it is hard to find the the, the exact section where the custodial cleaning staff uh, budget was uh, was located and the language was a bit obtuse so you really couldn't couldn't kind of get it you had to really dig deep to understand that yes this meant a, de- a cut to uh, cleaning services and we call it a death by a thousand cuts so it's not a massive cut but it is going to cut the service and the city halls and the civic centers and so on will be all a little bit uh, not as clean as they as they used to be and people are going from full-time to part-time and then so we're not going to have to we the the big city will not have to pay them uh pensions and and uh what what have you yeah. um and 
You know, it, what drives me crazy on this is that when the city is looking to save uh, money, that who gets hit? It's very often the people who do the, the grunt work, mm-hmm. cleaning our toilets, cleaning the floors, uh, the nurses who are doing frontline work. Like, Why do we pick on them when we need to save money when there are other places where if you had to, you would want to you'd want to want to look at. So it, the, from an equity perspective, stop going after janitors would yeah. be my message to, uh, to the city. We're going to leave it there. Thanks so much, Joe. Okay, always great to speak with you, Maggie. Have a great Saturday. You as well. That was Joe Mahavik, former Toronto City Councillor, talking about some of the headlines uh, concerning the city this past week. When we come back, some of our entertainment headlines from this past week as well. You're listening to Toronto This Weekend on 640 Toronto.